0: The following Roadshow podcast contains strong language and listener discretion is advised. Rowers tend to use invective and colourful language to
1: explain even the simplest points. This Roadshow podcast is no exception. He's going to run out here. Eric Murray in the bow. Hamish Bond in the stroke seat. They come through to take the gold medal in the men's pairs for New Zealand. Performance here by both crews, but it is the Kiwis who... race I've seen in the world championships ever. Murray puts his hand up. New Zealand already on 42, as are the British, as they had been sprinting down to the line. It's five strokes for New Zealand, and New Zealand winning another gold, securing their third title. France, here come the winners, and it will be gold for New Zealand, for Eric Murray and Hamish Bond. They have their reward for all that work down the years to go and the Kiwis are going to be taking home the gold medal at the World Rowing Championships 2013 no real surprise they've been world champions before, they're world champions again for 2013 and an absolutely blistering race the
2: Kiwi men's pair this is a vision that we've seen so many times they are unbeaten since 2009 in this event and they take their second world championship of this regatta
1: 20 meters to go for the Kiwis now as they come up towards the line. Again we find them the world champions in 2015 in the men's pair. Gold medal to New Zealand's Eric Murray and Hamish Bond. It's the first gold for New Zealand at this Olympics. New Zealand Olympic champions, two-time Olympic champions. amazing result from there. After
0: competing internationally for a number of years and racing at the Rio Games, Jake and I decided that there is so much more to every athlete's story than uh, just watching their final race and watching that a final on the TV. So the goal of the row show is to go into every single athlete's story and the, that, that huge work and, and dedication behind those performances and really have a look at, at what makes them tick and, and what gets them onto that podium.
2: We know the passion that we have for sport and for rowing is shared by many others around the world. And I think we really find it important that there is a way in which we can engage with the top athletes in, in our sport of rowing and le- really listen to their stories, the hardships they have to go through, the training regimes that they have to go under to get that final result. Because of course, winning that gold medal is not the complete picture of what they have to go through.
0: Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Lance Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about running. In South Africa, it my brings heart.
2: people together, breaks Memphis. down barriers.
0: Yeah, right. My passion Winning. to be the best. To be the best is something we strive sacrifice. for. There's crucial Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate goal, Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs>
2: What's up, guys? Uh, It's Lawrence and Jake, and we're back again with part two of
0: the Eric Murray interview. Yeah, we had some really cool feedback uh, on part one. Uh, Some big shout-outs from Jaku Labiskachny. He sent a message in just to say how epic, uh, how boss episode uh, one was with Eric Murray. So thanks to you. Thanks for the feedback. And yeah, today we have part two.
2: Part two and uh, part two we got to get into more of his racing in the pair I mean he gets really uh, into you know his his success in the pair and how the training made them uh, that successful and we also of course get into the quick fire questions which is always a big part of each episode
0: yeah I think that this episode is our best ever I yeah. think the the knowledge that we get from from Eric about the pair not like not necessarily on the results like we we, we know the races we, we've watched the races but on how they achieved the results, the the training, the difference between training with uh, Tonks and then under Noel, and we discussed that a bit in part one, but yes, we just get even more into to how hardcore these guys trained, and it's really, really impressive and really awesome. Yeah, and hopefully you guys can appreciate and
2: understand what made them such a phenomenal combination, and uh, why you could
0: call Eric one of the goats in rowing. Yeah, one of the all-time greats, and just really, really cool, so... Uh, that's enough of us babbling on. Yeah, and enjoy let's, the enjoy the episode. Let's get into the show. Ciao. Then, then the other thing I want to actually ask, uh, and you touched on it a bit, and uh, I know you got into it in your in your in the book on the warm up and the the pre racing routine. I remember the one time. You got to the the dam and although the the race and I think it was Dan Pluz he was saying that you guys had to do like uh, some crazy stuff on the bike before the the race and then you couldn't believe what you had done and you lined up and you raced along the the, the track and you were like shit that race was good and you're really upset because now I'm meant you had to to do this crazy warm up routine uh, for for the next couple of races or yeah. <laughs> whatever
1: oh yeah and and I like I, you know we we with with dick when we had him as a coach he, he he used a little bit of physiology but he was very old school you know it was just like do the training just do the time there's you know this you got to be doing you know 20 25 hours of training this week you know you just got to do it where the physiologist uh they're they're monitoring your heart rate variability and you know people are taking heart rate in the mornings and they're taking this and they're taking that and all this and they map your training and they go oh you've done uh, like a thousand TSS this week, you know, training stress score and blah blah blah, and and you're like, okay, cool, and and that and that works in a general sense because that you know it's, it is what it is with sports science and there's a whole lot of research that all these academics have done on it, um, and yeah, and and so. Dan was a great physiologist who sort of worked with Dick knowing that Dick was old school and he was like, okay, so he's old school but I'm still going to keep all the data and I'm just going to see where it goes. And like he did a study on us, you know, like he did a, you know, a massive study that got um, uh, that got published on, on Hamish and, and my heart rate variabilities. We'd take heart rate as soon as we woke up in the morning and you just see the way it, it works with, it's great to monitor for overtraining but we never got to that stage, you know, because he'd monitor it and then, you know, sort of talk about it. But, we we were just going into a warm-up, you know, and everybody does it, everyone does a warm-up to go and race their own different way, okay, you know, and everyone, people go for a bit of a jog, and they jump up and down, do some jumping jacks, or they get on the erg, and do a bit of a stretch, you know, swing your legs around, and all that sort of stuff, and we just did that, because we have done that since day one, you know, since you were at high school, whenever you started rowing, they'd go, right, go jog for 10 minutes, and then come back, and do these stretches, and then we get on the water and we do a bit of a, a warm-up, you know, in fours or whatever, and then we get into it and then do a minute at 22 and a minute at 24 and then 30 seconds sprints and sprint, sprints, sprints, do some starts. And we were like, isn't that just what you do? And and so what we were finding was we were just taking so long, we were taking till about 700 metres before we felt good, you know, before we really just sort of felt, oh, okay, I feel strong, I feel like I'd sit here and tick this along. Before that, it was sort of gasping, trying to catch your breath a bit like holy shit I'm you know like the heart and the body just in a bit of shock and I said to him I said mate fuck, it just just it's tough and even Hamish what we were finding in our we started doing it in training as well it was taking us 10k in the morning to get up to speed to get our heart rates up to like our training zone and so Dan's like oh you're just not warming up enough so he goes oh we'll start it on the of on the off the water for your racing so we were just getting on, the. I was getting on the erg, doing like five minutes of just like limbering up, throwing my legs around, jumping jacks, you know, swinging my legs, but body stretching. Then we'd get on the water 35 minutes before, we paddle up to the top, then we'd come back and we'd just do like a series of minutes like building. And Dan goes, nah, nah, we're going to get on the bike and we we're going to do five minutes getting, getting up to like, up to speed, getting your heart rate up to sort of training level. And I was like, okay. And then he goes, and then we're going to do a series of three, two, one, and then you have um, three minutes off the end of it to warm down, and then three, two, one again. And I said, "Okay, what's this three, two, one?" And he goes, "Okay, three minutes at like pushing you, you one pace, two minutes over that, and then one minute of just hammering it, like sprinting." And I was like, "You're kidding me, mate!" I mm-hmm. said, "Don't yank my chain." And I said, yeah, "This is that's ridiculous." And he goes, "No, no, no, trust me, trust me, trust me." And of course, I, I trusted him because everything he'd done with me all out my erg stuff for everything it worked you know i do these practice warm-up things for my ergs and then he go yeah you can hit 542 bang i get a 542 and i'll be like mate perfect so i just went along with it and so we did this warm-up and like we had puddles of sweat underneath our bikes and i was like mate it was ridiculous he goes no nah, no nah, sweet ass now get on the water and he goes just you only need like two or three minutes of paddling Start building up, get the the body movement for the rowing. And then he goes, and then just do like a minute at 26, 45 seconds at sort of 30, and then just do like probably four or five 30-second bursts at like race pace, just 36, 37, whatever you're doing, and then you're good to go. And so he goes, you only need to be on the water 20, 25 minutes. So we, in our like last four years, we were like the last on the water every time because we did did these massive warm-ups off on the bike and the very first race we did it at we did it at carapira at one of our training races and it was amazing and like we were straight into the rhythm we were straight on it and we just started moving away from like we were going toe to toe with the men's double we were pushing away from the woman's quad and we finished the race and i was like and even Hamish goes shit i felt good in that one <laughs> and i went damn it <laughs> yeah and i was like shit and then the warm-down was nearly the same. It was really intense warm-down where we would actually be sweating quite a lot and it was real active recovery. And so from that point onwards, every single race, like every World Cup, every Carapero race, everything, Nationals race, whatever we did, we'd do this amazing warm-up. And he just said, look, you're so fit. And he goes, you athletes, you're so fit that he goes, you know, when you're doing a training row, you know, how, how long does it take you to actually get into your training zone to feel good? And I said, oh, shit, if we don't you know, like 20K, probably takes me 30, 40 minutes. And he goes, exactly. So he goes, why aren't you doing that before you start and then start into it? Because he goes, you're basically wasting that 30-odd minutes. So in in our last couple of years, we ended up doing sort of 10 to 15 minutes, a pretty solid warm-up off the water, even for our trainings, you know. And so I'd be getting on the water, and it it was tough at at certain points because we'd be getting on the water sweaty as, and it would be, like, starting to turn winter here in New Zealand in sort of April, May, and we still have a month to go before we go overseas, and it was freezing, you know, like one or two degrees, and I'd be like, man, <laughs> I really need some more clothes on, but then we'd get straight into the rowing, and we'd be hitting it bang on, you know, but he said, you've got to be super, super fit to get up to that level, but he said, he said it's just surprising that a lot of, the problem is that you need a lot more facilities, you know, you need bikes for everyone, you need, wind trainers for everyone or you need ergs for everyone if you want to do it on the ergs you know and then you got to do it every day you got to can't just not do it one day and all this sort of stuff so um yeah we we started doing some pretty pretty epic stuff but to be fair it really helped us um it really helped us like going forward
2: yeah i think that's actually i mean we've we've been chatting it a bit about because like i noticed for our racing and, and our erg trials i mean it's the same there's like a general formula that you follow for the warm-ups and like I mean, but it's such shit, though. It is. It is. I. I feel like this is crap because I mean, everyone's a little bit different, and you can't. I feel like one template to fit all doesn't make sense. And I often find that actually, like you said, in steady state, takes a long time until you're actually feeling pretty good. And also find that when we do multiple pieces on the ergo, the first couple pieces are. Terrible, and then all of a sudden I get, yep. I feel like I get, I finally get into the 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 tempo of things like halfway through, and I'm like, shit! Now I feel like I'm actually working.
1: It does. You've you've got to you've got to learn about yourself and see. Even there was the thing. See, Hamish didn't tend to need to warm up as much as I did, but I felt like I needed to do quite a bit more. And so of course he, I'd be on the bike doing a little bit more before we started the pieces, and then I'd be on a little bit longer when we finished and even in the mornings before the trainings hamish could warm up quite quickly when we we're on the water but i just found it took me quite a long time to to get it up so it is different for everyone but it was a bit of an epiphany for us because i was like well i just saw you came down you know you did five or ten minutes on the erg to get a bit of you know you hurried up a bit and then you stretched a bit then you went out training and he's like look when you start getting up to these things he goes all you got to do is watch like tour de france riders Getting ready to do their time trial. And he goes, How long do they sit on the bike for? And he goes, They're on there for like fifty to sixty minutes. Sure. And he goes, and they're doing like a and he goes, they're doing like a thirty, forty K time trial. And he goes, But they know that their body's not awake until they've been going for like an hour. And he goes, So they, they're sitting there sweating away, like busting their gut on their wind trainers and stuff like that, getting ready to do these time trials. And he goes, and they'll be on there for an hour. And he goes, and that's just what happens because those guys are used to doing six or seven hours just smashing it out. So if you just expect them to do ten minutes and then pump it out, they're not even in anywhere near their like warm up area. And and that said it's the same with rowers. A lot of people disregard it because it's like, Well, I've just done it or we we have like I had this mentality of like I don't want to do too much before I race because I want to save it for the race. And he goes, Honestly, mate, he goes you could do, you know, he goes, with your training, how many, like, repeats could you have done at, like, 28 rate? You know, if if your coach had said, oh, we're going to do, like, five k's at 28 rate, and i say, well, I could do the whole lot, and he goes, well, what's the difference of doing it at that and 36, and I said, oh, it's a bit harder, and he goes, yeah, but if you got told you had to do three or four of them at 36, I'd be like, well, I could probably do them, and he's like, yeah, but you'll probably feel better in the second or third one, because you've warmed up to do it, so I was like, yeah, probably right, and it's exactly what you're saying, Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's a it's a difficult thing to get your head around, and it, and it is only at like probably the elite end. Um, you know, all the young kids and shit listening don't don't think you have to go and do that <laughs> before your uh, yeah. before your school racing.
0: I say school kids often end up racing like five six times a weekend, so. If they started to crank out yeah, exactly. hours on and hours off before and after each race, they're going to be toast. God, I don't think I ever warmed up once when I was in school. I think I literally went from uh, a complete neutral state to smashing a 2K. Jake, you were terrible at
1: school. Yeah,
2: I, was bad, but I wasn't very yeah. good.
0: So um, the other thing I actually want to, want to get into, just the, to touch on, is the you guys obviously do a lot of cycling and uh, pretty clear with, with Hamish that uh, the cycling is pretty big. But you guys... I mean, right up through the through the year, you're cycling the whole time, and I mean that. I want to touch on the, the crash that you guys had just before for Rio. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah, my crash. Yeah. we'll do the crash <laughs> first. We'll do the crash first. So we're trained all of this time, never, never once had a bloody incident, and I literally picked myself up off the ground the day before we were flying to Rio. Like we had done a we've done a two k in the morning. We we're in Lucerne because we've been training just out of Lucerne in Circe. Uh, and we went into Lucie and we did the 2k, and then we weren't even really going to go for a bike ride, that's what pissed me off, and Hamish goes, oh yeah, but we don't fly out till like tomorrow, so we might as well just like do a warm down this afternoon, and, and Dan said, oh I'll just go like 90 minutes, just just ride around the countryside, you know, don't need to push it, just go for, go for a ride, and we were like about three minutes from home after this like two hour bike ride, and it was real easy, and we were just going, because Switzerland's a best place in the world to ride on because they've got cycle paths next to the road that are like this immaculate tar sealed ground like better than the roads we've got here in New Zealand it's ridiculous and but there was one part where you came back onto the road and then it was like a bit of a woodland on the side and we climbed a little bit of a hill a rolling hill and then went along a flat and then it went back onto the footpath and so Hamish was in front of me and He sort of just went a little bit right and he turned around and he said, oh, up onto the path. And so my wheel was probably, I don't know, you know, like 15 centimetres to the left of his back wheel, about half a wheel off the back. And literally he went up onto the new part and then where I was going up onto it, there was a curb. And so I just hit this curb, and, of course, the wheel just shot out underneath me. And I just went fucking on the side, over the handlebars, rolling on the ground. And I was like, "You're kidding me!" And so Hamish came back, going, "What the fuck happened?" And I said, "The fucking curb, man." I was like, "Didn't you?" because like, you know, normally if we were cycling, you'd say, "Oh, curb" or whatever. And and I was like, "Shit!" And I sat there for what seemed like a minute. It was probably five seconds. And I just went. Hands are good, shoulders good, necks good, legs are good shit chest a bit sore and and then i was like ah and then like i was pulling gravel out of my my bloody um elbows and my hands um and my leg and shit like that and i'm like oh ah. and i was like shit my chest is sore and the handlebars are bent <laughs> so i would landed on the handlebars and I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, this is the day before we're flying to Rio. And I was like, man, this is terrible. And then b- by the time I was like, okay, I, I feel good, Like I said, shit, the only thing is my bloody chest really sore, like right under my sternum. And I thought, well, I really hope that's nothing bad. And I said, but we'll get home. And I got back, and then shit, it was sore, and I was like coughing, and it really hurt. And I was like, oh, i better not have fucking done a rib. And I was like, even <laughs> if I have, I'm going to bloody race. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> and and it was pretty good like the the only problem was is that because everyone had been saying that the water was going to be shit we were thinking man i'm going to get infected hands or whatever so i had to like wrap up and i was taking some antibiotics just to get on top of it beforehand and um and yeah but it was it was oh the one time you know like that one time where you're like you could have when it can go wrong it fucking did go wrong and i was like but yeah but in hindsight, it was, it was good. But apart from that, yeah, like the whole cycling thing that we did, it really came about because this whole four-year cycle with Dick, all we did was row. All we did was just row. Like, i shit you not. We, the only time we would do an erg was when you couldn't get onto the pontoon. If it was absolutely, uh, like, rough, rough, It'd make us get on the water and then like duck up one side and we like we would row in the most horrendous conditions and it would always go oh monday you might have to race in it you know and we're like no, i doubt it but you know whatever and so we, we just we just wrote all the time and if unless you couldn't literally get on the pontoon would be the only time we'd ever do eggs and so what we did is going forward when we said to ourselves okay we're going to go back in the pier and go to rio And we got Noel came in as the coach. And we sat down with Dan and Noel. And I said, look, guys, and, you know, like, we we both had sort of the opinions on it. And I said, can we actually do less rowing and go faster? And I said, I've spent rowing way too much. (laughs) Like, not bored of it, but I said, it's tough. And so Dan said, yeah, actually, we can. And he goes, so what we're going to do is we can actually get more volume of training by doing less. And I was like, okay, so less is more. And he's like, yeah and so a bit of an oxymoron but so what we ended up doing in our first year 2013 going back to like korea is we only end up rowing once a day so we rode six sessions a week and then so we only ended up doing 12 sessions in total for the week but what we were doing on the other times is we were doing at least two or three hours on the bike like two to three times a week um and then we were doing ergs for at least two or three sessions on the other one so i ended up doing three erg sessions and three bikes and Hamish ended up doing two erg sessions and four bikes because he just loved the bike. Um, And But when I mean like when we're on the bikes we're not just going for a ride like Hamish is trying to drop me off the back and I'm trying to do some work at the front but it's about 90-10 80-20 and we're pushing the heart rate the whole time. So we're not just like cruising along side by side like yarning away. We're actually watching our heart rate going for it and, like the, and Dan would be like okay, I want you to do some, like, 10 minutes where you need to be up above, you know, like 170 or whatever, and I'll be like, okay. So then I'd jump on the front and just go for it, and then Hamish would be, like, pulling. He'd either go way back and then come up or whatever it was, but we, we did really solid stuff. And then on the erg, I did a lot of erg stuff where he would um, go, right, we're going to do, like, we're going to do 20K or whatever on the row machine, or we're going to do 80 minutes, and I want you to do this, this, and this, or we're we going to do some physiological stuff. So the hardest, probably the hardest session I did. It's called a drop test on a bike, and the cyclists do it. And it's he made me do it on the row machine. And so you 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 literally it's it's one minute on, seven minutes off. Okay, but the one minute on is you hit the lowest split you possibly can. So I was trying to hit like one ten, and I was just trying to hit one ten. And then you've got to hold it as long as you can. And so you're absolutely gassed, like, trying to hold it, and the, and the numbers are coming up, and you're holding it, and you've got to do that for a minute. And, you, and so you're like, you finish it, and you're like, holy shit, I just did a minute as fast as I possibly could. Then you've got to do it again, and we had to do it seven times. So seven-minute seven break, one piece, and do it again and again and again. So by the time I hit the last piece, my lactate was 23 millimoles and I was absolutely like in a world of hurt that I've never been in before and so we just used to do stuff like that you know and he would it was just all targeted for us specifically like me and Hamish so Hamish had just been on endurance stuff or sprint stuff and I'd be doing longer endurance pieces you know one of my ones I put on social media one time was when I did uh, four 2k pieces with a three minute break in between and I did them all under six minutes. You know, like Dan said, I want you to do them at like 400 and whatever watts, like 130 paces. And I and I said, so you want me to do four 2Ks at six-minute pace? And he's like, yeah. And he goes, so you, you'll find the last two will be real tough. And they were. Like, I finished the third one. I thought there was no way I could do the fourth one. And then he just goes, man up, man up. And I did it. And I sat on the pace. And I was struggling. And I had to rate the off at the last 500. But he goes, you know, he goes, now you've done it. And he goes, so next time you'll be able to do it easy. The body will adjust and, and it will adapt. So in and, and our years going forward, we, we did a lot of cycling for that reason that you can end up doing – and, okay, you need the experience. You need to have done the time rowing. You had to know how to row. You're going to have the technique ingrained, all of this other thing. But we went from having, like, you know 20 or whatever hours of, like, specific – like, 20, 25 hours specific training to having, like, 30 or 32 – And so, of course, all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. we're we're doing even more volume. And so we were getting fitter. And then we would find it easier on the water when we were doing training. And then you just come down to training and you just, like, nail your session. You know, it might be some pyramids or a real, like, pacing session with a double or whatever it was. And we'd nail it. And we just went as fast as we were going. But we were having way more fun. We were enjoying it a lot more. And it was just like, shit, this is is exactly what I'm doing it for. And so it's been tough because – I saw a lot of the younger generation coming through with rowing New Zealand, going well. Why were and, and Hamish not buddy rowing twice a day on the water like when we we're overseas on, on like our big camp, like before World we Champs? And so they'd want to do it because they didn't want to row every day because we all know what like a Friday afternoon situation like It's bloody stink, you know? Like you've got one more to go before you get a bit of a weekend break, <laughs> and um, and we're like sitting out there. Like either on the ergs or on the bike, like cruising around the countryside. And so you get a little, people get a little bit of an envious, like, streak to them. But the fact was that that ended up giving us more volume, just, um, yeah, less rolling.
0: So, so then what year do you think that you guys uh, were the quickest in the pair? Do you think they were, you were quickest by the end, or do you think you had a, was there any specific year where you thought, shit, okay, this is, this is the best?
1: Um, I think 2011, 2011 and uh, 2015. So uh, it was probably all the way through, but definitely in 2011 was when we really hit our straps. And um, yeah, 2011 we had like a really good, um, what did we do? We, We did a piece in. Yeah, we, we were we were training in Bohin before Slovenia, which is like it's a it's a it's a like a national lake further out. And so we were training there, then coming back into race at the thing. And it was just going really, really well. It was smooth, like we, we had good speed, good rhythm, um, and and it worked really well. And then like twenty twelve we did our like ten so we always did a two K ten days before World Champs. It's just like the benchmark time. And We did it against the men's double and everything um, in Lucerne in that year. And, like, we did six seventeen or something, flat, dead flat Lucerne. And, like, someone reckoned it was the fastest anyone's actually gone on Lucerne, like the course record for a pair. And the last time that anyone went that quick, it had, like, a really big tailwind. So we were like, okay, we're probably quick. And that's when we broke the world record. So, obviously, we were going real fast. And then, but then, see, 2013, um, we went really quick when we went to Korea, um, and, you know, we had changed our philosophy of doing what we were doing. And then probably one of the best, like, 10-day-out 2Ks we had was the, the one 2015 before we went to Agbalea. We were training in this place in Italy called Montever, and, um, like, uh, we got taken there, and we were a bit anti at going, ice, oh, you know, what the hell are we coming here for because we'd never been there before and whatever. And we did our, like, 2K race, and we did it against the men's double, lightweight double, and the women's quad, and so we went toe to toe with the lightweight men's double, like we were like side by side, straight off the blocks together. So they should have, and they and they they were a good crew, and um and then all of a sudden we just started like running away from them about seven hundred meters to go, and, and we got to the end, and he was like shit. That was a great one, and it was a really good good race, and it was quick, you know. And we were like, well, that was you know, and we're on fire. And then you know, we went to the world champs, and and we went really fast, and so. Uh, we just managed to just hold, like, maintain our speed going into those years. And, and it was really because we just had – we had the knowledge and we had the data. You know, like, the, that's the biggest thing is when you when you create these combinations or, or even, a, like, as a personal thing, you know, like, we, we could sit on and, – and this will probably – I don't know if you're going to get into this later, like, ERG stuff, but, like, we religiously use the Dynamic ERG because it's the best, best buddy piece of machinery you can use that – Emulates what you do on the water. And so we'd be sitting on there for an hour, you know Just like busting it away on on one of our sessions Friday afternoon session was like sometimes was an hour and Hamish and I'd be sitting next to each other and we could still do like one forty four one forty threes for an hour Sitting in our heart rate zones and it would just be like you know what this actually feels pretty good But I knew that that's where we needed to be in order to be good You know if we were sitting forty five forty six which you do at the earlier part of the season, I knew we still had a lot of work to do. But we knew like what we were doing when we did pieces on the water, whether it's a K or 500 or whatever it would be if we did multiples of them. Um, at any time of the year, like if it was the middle of July or start of August and we did some like 1,000-metre pieces, I'd want to be hitting 3.5. You know, 3.06 would be the slowest we'd want to be going. And if we could do three or four of them, back-to-back, back, you know, like do one, row back down, do another one, row back down, do another one, row back, you know, four of them in a row, if they could all be within a second of each other, I knew we were going good, you know, and, and that's what gave it to us was that we had years upon years of knowing how fast we should be going at certain times of the year to be able to do it, you know, and that's, and that's what we learnt from all what we talked about back when we were in the four. Back then, we just had no idea, you know, but then going forward, we always had the knowledge of going, yep, I remember when we did these pieces last year in bloody Italy or wherever we were, and we did this time, yep, and Noel or whoever could look back on the computer and he goes, you know what, yeah, you did do or 4 last year when we were here, and you go, and you did or 5 this year, and then we knew that we won in 2014. So you'd be like, well, we're looking good to bloody do it again. You know, and it will give you confidence. It wouldn't mean that you were going to win, but it just gave you a confidence to know we're on target, you know, um, and that's the biggest thing to have, you know, just those years of knowledge of knowing how well you're actually going is is just second to none, eh?
0: Yeah, flip, man. It's
2: really, really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, some um, deep knowledge there. I, we were going to ask you, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was um, how did you manage to keep the standards so high, especially when you guys were winning and you didn't really have any competition. and I think you've just answered you, you, throughout the interview you've answered that exactly. You were you were basically just, you know, racing yourselves and keeping yourselves honest through data. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's true data, but the the one thing, and like I, I think countries are doing it better now. Um, well, I, well, I think they are. Um, the 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 one thing that we learned right early on, and that's probably been the success of a lot of what New Zealand's done over time, is just getting a training partner, right? You know, like you guys would know. You know, if you go for, a, if you go for a like a cycle or something or a run. You know, if you go for a run by yourself, you know, yeah. coaches, are, you know, like in the off season, you go for a run. Yeah, I think I'm going pretty hard. God, I hate the training moment by some, The moment somebody's next to you, yeah. how much more intensity do you get? Yeah. You know, you're rowing down the you're rowing down the course somewhere, and you pull up. You're in a single, and you pull up next to someone else in a single, and you're like, I'm going to go. You, you're not going to beat me if you do that every single day. Every single row, okay, and someone else that's just about the same speed as you, where's your intensity going to go? Exactly. And that's basically was that was our secret. Like, it wasn't our secret. It was just what we became the the norm. And yeah. so that was that's what happens in the New Zealand team. Like, and I and like i no doubt it'll happen in bloody Canada with Dick because I'm sure he's taking it over there, and I'm sure the people in Aussie. I don't know. If, I don't think Great Britain does it. I don't know. Um, but it's basically like if you're in a pair. Train with a lightweight double. You know, if you're in a lightweight double, train with a double. So it means that all of you are pretty much training together. Um, mm. You know, if you're in a four, try and train with a quad. If you're in a woman's double, train with a men's single. Same speed. Mm. You know, all of these boats are pretty close. You know, if you're in a lightweight woman's double, train with a woman's pair. Or try and stay with a woman's double. You know, there's, there's all of these different boats that if you're, if you're there, you know, woman's single is the hardest one. Sorry, ladies. Um, but you know, even like, say, with with an eight. Like, if you're in a woman's eight, you want to try and be like a men's double keeping up. You know, and some of them are probably men's fours training speeds for, you know, like probably a rate higher. But if you're doing 18 and a four and a woman's eight's doing 19, 20, you'll be sitting next to each other, you know, and you'll be trying to beat each yeah. other as much as you can in that training stuff. But all of a sudden, it just means that intensity goes from we're being told to go and do 20K or, or an hour, you know, half an hour, one way, half an hour back, whatever, to be, I want to beat you guys every stroke. I'm going to try and work harder. I'm going to try and make my technique better. And and it does. And it's just that intensity that you bring to it. And that's what we had. There wouldn't have been much time went by. Like, we would have had it nearly nearly every single day. There would have been, in our in our last period, we probably... Um, because we lost the quad because we weren 't under dick and like we didn 't really have a woman's quad in the last few years, it would be two to three times a week we would be against like the men 's doubles and mens lightweight doubles um, and then the other times we 'd try and pick someone up or pick them up if we could or we'd just do our own thing but yeah. that's that 's what you need you know and you just need somebody pushing you along that 's better than you you know and just try and be better than them you know and, and if you can it just means that your training intensity goes from training to actually trying to win every single training session which means that over time you're you're just at a different level you know you're just at a different level all the time
0: yeah flip man we could carry on speaking about all these things for, for hours but uh, i think we really want to get into <laughs> to our quick five questions so these are questions that we ask all the, the guests on the show they are pretty what would you pretty say standard. pretty I mean, standard pretty standard but we always get uh, pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting results. So you can uh, answer them whichever way you you see fit. So the first one is: if you could race any boat class at the games, what would it be?
1: Oh, I would definitely be the eight.
0: Yeah, the big, the big one.
1: Yeah. Oh, just because, like, I, like the eight's just so fast, and like, you know when you jump in one it's so much quicker and it's just dynamic and it's just it's just powerful you know there's nothing better than an eight at full tit, you know because it's so quick and you got all the eight people around you just pumping it along that to me i'd love i'd love to have been part of an eight yeah would have been awesome
2: yeah no i think that's i think that's definitely if i I do that
0: would be my answer to that question so is that um you you, hamish and mahi and then the the rest of the guys for tokyo 2020
1: (laughs) oh i think there's three strong personalities i don't know if we'd ever get that one going (laughs) (laughs) okay
2: well so the next one is if you could choose any three people from any time and from anywhere in the world to race in a coxless four with who would your three
0: crewmates be
1: Yes. Uh, wow, okay. Um,
0: yeah, you can take your time. You take your time with no pressure. Yeah, yet.
1: yeah, I know, I know. That's, that is a coxless four. Well, let's that, see, that's the thing, it's a four. Problem is sometimes, see, I'd, I'd love to be with um, Eberson, the bloody lightweight, the Danish,
0: because uh, he physical. was
1: amazing. And, yeah. of course, he could just, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could have kept up with 42+. plus um and and like you know some of those lightweights used to go just as fast as heavyweights um yeah he would have been he would have been on the well yeah but if you wanted to win (laughs) um, but he was
0: basically a heavyweight already
1: yeah yeah i know because he was so big yeah um i actually yeah um so i probably still keep hamish to be fair um just because I know he went really well in, the, in a pair and like he also went really well in a four. Um, um, problem is, I'm only really sort of thinking back to like late 90s into the 2000s because I don't really know a lot of the people back in the early days. Um, Steve would have been awesome to race with, I guess, like Sir Steve. Um, just because, it, like, you know, he's quite a big man already, but I would have loved to have seen him. You know, like, I never saw him in his prime. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, in that, in that sort of 92, I reckon, 92 to 96, when yeah. he was in his prime prime, I reckon he would have been devastating, you know, to race with. Um, yeah. But, see, there's been, that's the, that's the thing. There's been so many cool, like, different people that have done things differently and... and and excelled in different ways, you know. Where like that's a thing, like a coxless four. You pr- you really, if you want to have like the best coxless four, you would need those guys. But see, in some way, I'd love to like have ever race with John Christoph Rollon. You know, yes. when you watch, yeah. I watched that religiously as a kid. The two thousand Sydney Premier. yeah, that's a you know when that, those that's when one. those oh, it's still one of my favorite races to watch. You know, when those guys they just put the gas on at seven fifty to go. And it's just like, what are you doing? And then it's like, and like the commentators, or always he goes, are they are they thinking it's the two fifty to go, and <laughs> then they're like, nope, oh, and they're still going, yeah. and like they win, you know, because they just did something out of the box, and it won them an Olympic gold medal. You know, yeah. like they just threw something at it that no one was even expecting to happen. So, um, you know, so, that would that would have been pretty awesome.
0: So, in your four, um, are you? I mean, there's, there's, are you gonna stroke it? Or, I mean, I know you, you, you touched a couple times on the idea of a, <laughs> of an Eric stroked uh, kiwi pair, but
1: uh... oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would I would have loved to roamed with like that's the thing you know it would have been pretty cool to row with Steve and um. Uh, like Steve and, and Matthew but then in saying that in a four I reckon they would have been pretty incredible but also if you took that 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 motion of like James Tompkins and Drew Jinn and you rode with that that could have been amazing yeah. you know like one one's very powerful and it would have gone really fast and you would have not, like every time that they picked the boat up it would have just like jumped out of the water and you would have been like wow and then when you were rowing with drew and james i reckon you wouldn't have felt anything and it would have just hummed along the water you would have been like holy shit like just acceleration and just patience and the boat would have just drizzled along and you would have been like wow this thing's flying and it felt like we were doing nothing yeah um so yeah it's oh mate it's so many it would have been cool to cool to race with i know i know
2: so when it comes down to it what's 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 the four? What's the the selection? Because you've you've made you've come up with a good squad here. Who would who would make no, the I
1: know. I'm I come up with a squad. How do I nail it down? Um, I definitely think Steve would have been one. All right. Steve, Steve, me. Okay. And if it's a four, maybe I might ditch Bondi for a couple of internationals. Um, <laughs> and I reckon James James would have been a perfect stroke. Tompkins. Yeah. James. Steve me, and then I rec- I I still yeah someone in the yeah someone in the bow who could have had in the bow um or oh, insane that even though he oh, I see someone like Tim Foster would have been quite cool as well yeah
2: yeah he I feel because like he's apparently often he
1: underlooked. Was, he was a technician yeah, yeah I feel like he's often no, underlooked in like that
2: for yeah
1: there's too many we're just talking buddy Um, we're talking the Commonwealth here guys we need to like look at some of the the Americans or whatever yeah Um, but then in saying that see someone like Robert Dell with the power would have been pretty insane yeah although he wasn't the greatest he wasn't the greatest sweeper no, nah, just keep Bondi in there as well. I yeah. keep Bondi. I have to. So
2: focus. You, that's that's the four, and then and then the reserves. You've got Escald, Eberson, Rob Waddell, Drew Ginn, yeah. uh, Tim Foster. Yeah, no, nah, just
1: just just Eberson, Drew, and Tim. I reckon. Uh, nice. Well,
0: that's the recipe for success. Yeah, success. So uh, yeah. so then you have touched on the next question already. Is uh, what's your favourite rowing race of all time that you find yourself watching over and over again? Is that the 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 pair? From 2000.
1: Oh, this, yeah. Yeah. The, the Sydney Pier. You can't go past that race, eh?
0: No, you can't.
1: I still, you just, you watch it and it's just this, you know, like, you, you it's the thing is, you can just, you can watch it from start to finish. You know, it's like one of those movies you can just watch because you know what's going to happen. And you you just, every time you watch it, you're like, oh, that's where they've gone. They've actually gone at the 850. Or like, their commentator's not even talking about it. And then you watch the other crews and see the reaction. It's just like, man those guys had some balls you know like they just nuts it and and look what they did you know history you'll always know it
2: that's epic (laughs) I mean the next question is if you were in charge at world rowing what would you change and why
1: oh a bit of the hot seat (laughs) a bit of the hot seat oh what a change and why wow I'd love to make it that we could have a shitload more stuff, you know, because it like I, I would still love to be able to have like heaps more boat classes and lightweights for Africa, you know, like just everyone everywhere, you know, like um, uh, that, that to me would be awesome, you know, like if we could have every boat class that's basically ever raced type of thing that yeah. could be relevant at the moment, it would just make so much more people race. But because we can't at the Olympics then yeah, that's that that to me but if we if we could, I'd just go back to having everyone just racing whatever they wanted to. Um but yeah, like going forward, Crockey, man, there's some there's some tough tough situations that are gonna come out in the next sort of I guess eight to twelve, maybe sixteen years, that's for sure. Mm.
0: Or maybe you're just happy you don't have to make any decisions.
1: Yeah, I know. Maybe I. Yeah, I, I couldn't actually. That, that's the thing. Uh, I would love to see us, like everyone, being able to race a whole lot more. Um, that would be what I'd try and push. If I had to be, if you have to talk about the current climate that's currently in, and the way that I could see it being better, uh, I reckon that we need to remove the eights from the program. Not remove them not remove them so hear me out um i think the eight should be a race at the finish with the certain number of people that you have from the program uh, from your country so the way that we could end up having less people at the olympics is and still have the same number of boat because you know like at the moment they're trying to decrease the number of people so that they're getting rid of some events so we could still like have the lightweight four and the lightweight double we could still have like maybe a lightweight woman's pair or something like that um would be to still have them but take out the eight so then of course what happens is you can qualify all these other boats you can actually put a couple more in of them um and so instead of only having 13 you might be able to have 15 or whatever 16 and so if your country has qualified eight men Or you can still have two reserves and they could come into your program. Then, what actually happens if you do that? We've done the data, we've done the research on it. You could potentially have like 14 men's eights because, like, New Zealand would have like double single pair, probably a four. Oh, look, or a quad. Okay, look, you've got way more than eight. You guys are in. You know, or you might have a lightweight four, a men's single, a men's pair, and then you've got one reserve that could come in. Okay, your country's now just been able to race the eight. And so yeah. if you're able to actually do that, yes, you, you do chop out the eights and, and they're a big prestigious part of what rowing and, and stuff is. But if you actually look at it, it makes full sense. Yeah,
2: it does Because make then sense. At,
1: at the end of it, you just have like a two-day regatta at the end. You have a heats and a semis or whatever, or a heat and a on one day and then you have a final the next. You would have 10 or 12 women's eights because you've got the women's four and you've got quads and all these other boat classes in it. And the men, you'd probably have the same. And then all of a sudden we're not taking six women's eights or five, you know, what it's seven and eight, whatever we are now, to the Olympics. You could have like nearly double. You could have at least ten, you know. Mm. So you've got heats and semis and all this other thing makes it really exciting. And then I know people won't, you know, like people won't target it. You'll say, oh, it's watering it down, and yes, it what it is. But we're in an evolving situation with rowing and all the other sports where. We potentially, if we don't become relevant, you know, and we don't keep evolving with the trends that people are trying to do, um, you know, you lose your Olympic status. And then what does that do for rowing? You know, like that's just the harsh reality of what a lot of sports around the world are having to do because of the way it's done. You know, maybe maybe rowing has to go to a thousand meters, you know, because people just don't want to spend the time and training to do. To do the 2k you know and then maybe it makes it better worldwide because countries will be like shit well it's only a thousand meter race we can introduce more people to the sport and they don't have to train 40 plus hours a week to be good at 2,000 meters you know they could do half that time and be really good for three minutes or two minutes 50 or you know whatever it is mm-hmm. um you know so I'd definitely look at those two options to be nice, fair. Nice Especially answers. I like
0: the, the idea of doubling up for the eight. you yeah. uh, you obviously been chatting to uh, Drew because yeah. uh, I think that's very similar to, to what he well, has. Well see to they say. do it in
1: Aussie. They do it in Aussie at the King's Cup and like we like if you actually if you do the numbers, like even if you were allowed if you were allowed one reserve, I think we we had two reserves. We had like fourteen men's eights that's that you could have raced. Yeah, by using lightweights, heavyweights, and and everything else. No, it's and really if you cool. use like two of the, up to two reserves, but even if you had one reserve that was there just to race the eight at the finish, then all of a sudden you've still got less numbers than they've got now, and they're always trying to cut numbers. That's why they cut an event, you know. And you've still got the same. You got still this less numbers. And you have more. You still got the same number. Of, yeah, you got same number of bow classes and everything else. And you still keep to get your lightweights and everyone involved in the program, and you just make it like that. And so no one's at an advantage because all these other people are like, well, you know, I sort of do, but we don't just—we're not just going to target the eight to like you. Either got to target the eight and sacrifice your other races, or you've got mm-hmm. to race the other races, and then it's just like a throw together eight at the end where you know you do a little bit of training in it, but it makes it more of a lottery because then you're not going to go and go okay. This year, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Aussie, Great Britain, and Germany.
0: Yeah,
1: you know where you could be like, well, actually, we've got four South African lightweights, a couple from the pair, guy, and the single in their reserve. Shit, those guys could actually go pretty fast.
2: Yeah. yeah,
1: you know, and then and then Denmark could put out an eight. You know, like all of these countries that have got no shit show of getting eight guys to be part of the pair, four, quad, double. You know, and then an eight. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've got the guys, you've got eight guys in the program right there that would love to jump in an eight for a whirl, you nice. know, like, and and have a good race because they're like, you know what, this is just going to be fucking shits and giggles. It's going to be awesome. And and that, to me, would be a great way to do it. But you lose 150-odd years of the eight being number one the number one yeah. thing
0: that you actually do. Yeah. No, is a tough, <laughs> it is I like a, it though. I like it. I think uh, Eric for president. Maybe yeah. we can uh, we'll get some movement going. Oh, sure. But um, <laughs> so the next question is um, the book of secrets. is the big one. It's I mean, but I think you've already answered it. So we're going to change it up a little bit. It's actually what is your your two KPB, which I think is the the five forty two, but.
1: Five forty one. Oh, Five forty
0: one, sorry, I don't wanna yes, don't disrespect this guy. Disrespect man. It, man. I'll I'll
1: cut we'll cut we'll cut the decimal out of it and I yeah. say five forty one but yeah. Five forty one. But no, I did yeah. About three years in a row I did five forty two, give or take. Like my last my last erg pretty certain I did five forty two point something. It was high point something. But so, I managed to keep it down there for like or. The 2013 one, because we had a bit of a break, oh, my erg was pretty rubbish. It was like 45. Um, but then the other ones, yeah, they were right back down on the money at 42, like three years in a row. But, see, I'm watching all of these guys at the moment doing these, like, mid-30s, and I'm like, holy shit. And I still, that is that is one regret with rowing. See, we did, my, the last time we did a 2K was March, you know, like, started March, and then we had April, May, June, July, August, for like training so i would have loved to have done a 2k in august because i reckon i could have gone under 540 yeah. i don't think i do these mid 30s that a lot of these guys are doing but just because we didn't do weight like because i just don't like okay i've got endurance you know i can i can i can sit there and set half marathon records at 136 splits but i can't do like 124s for six minutes you know like it's one or the other you can't do
0: both so that was what i was gonna that was what i was gonna ask is um because you've done a lot of other impressive stuff on the erg so what do you think is your most impressive piece that you've done on the erg uh
1: i think the half marathon is one i think that the 10k is one that's that should probably get knocked off pretty soon i think um at the time i thought it was pretty impressive um so that's thirty, yeah, thirty-one minutes or thirty-three minutes for ten k. It's a one, it's a one thirty-three split for like thirty something, thirty-one minutes. And at the time, it was pretty tough because it was so fast. Like it was sort of going my five k pace, but I was holding it for ten k. I was like holy shit. Um, and yeah, that was at the time because Jean-Christophe Roland actually had that. He set that in like ninety-seven or some ninety-eight. And so it sat there for like 10, 12 years, and no one had even had a go at it. So that was pretty cool to do that one. Um, few people reckon they've gone that quick, but they've never recorded it. So I think that'll be a good one for people to like take down a peg. But the half marathon and the hour, until Conlon be my hour, um, uh, that, yeah, that that yeah, those long-distance ones, I implore people to do it because it sucks big time, but it really tests your resolve because... If you don't start out fast enough, you can never make up the time. And if you start out too hard, you blow massively and you're like in this world of hurt for like 25 minutes or 20 minutes or <laughs> yeah. whatever it is to get to the yeah. line. But you you just got to get in, you've got to test yourself and you've got to go, you know what? I've, Coach said I've got to go as fast as I can for an hour. And you've just got to get in this groove and you've got to find something in your head to just watch the numbers tick down and you're watching like 50s and shit and you're like jesus i'm trying to go sub 140s oh man and, and like you know it's just but what it does is it just puts you into a new place and you just gotta you gotta find your inner self that can get you through these hard times when you don't think you can complete something and you're just like i'm not gonna quit i'm not gonna quit i'm not gonna quit and so that sort of thing to me is is awesome for people to actually be able to do
2: yeah, and then coming into our last question here is uh, if you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be and why?
1: Oh, golf! Golf? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Golf, I
2: man. wasn't expecting that. Oh, I love, I
1: love golf. i eh? I, I'm so disappointed in myself that I didn't play enough while I was rowing. I should have, because I've got back into it since I was single. I just, I missed it. A, eh? like, it's such a beautiful game. Um, and it's like, you know, there's so much technique, and it's you, and it's the ball, you know, and you just, you swing in, and it's just like, it's tactical, you're like, no, I'm going to put the driver away, I'm going to lay it up, and I'm going to do this, and then, you just, it's inches, you know, centimeters, and it's like, it's either your side, or the wrong side, you know, yeah. and there's camaraderie, because you're playing in a group with people, and all this, and, and it's social, and it's outdoors, and it's just like, chugging along, and beautiful scenery, beautiful grounds, oh, I love it, eh? I wish I kept playing while I was doing it. I wish I'd bloody never rode and just continue playing <laughs> golf as a kid.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, because you're I like, could I have, wish... I, you, could, you I could, have
1: been, could have been with Tiger Woods and been uh, a <laughs> multi-millionaire. <and Yeah. laughs>
0: you say you want to you play more golf when you're rowing. I'm like, between the, the 30K sessions and the three-hour cycles, where is the the golf. five hours you have to, to spend on paying 80 holes?
1: But see, if I, if I, you can pick up a cheap, shitty golf cart for like 500 bucks and you can just go to the driving range. Cause, like, I'm like that's one thing I've, I've said to some of the young guys here. I'm like, you guys have got no idea how much time you waste. And I said, okay, I know there's recovery, but then there's wasted time. You know, like <clears throat> the roads that aren't actually that hard, you know, like it's just like, okay, we're doing a simple 20K session, just a pacey one. And you're like, okay, Monday morning. And you feel pretty fresh afterwards. You're not like gassed out like a Friday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then you sit there at home until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <coughs> and you're yeah. just like, well, I could have got a golf cart, pick one up cheaply online, and then I could have gone down to the golf club and played nine holes.
0: No, we've done it um, We've because like, our Thursday afternoons are like, where we have the most time. So that's where we try and uh, get to the golf because actually it is really, really epic. Um cool. so that's like all the all the formal stuff and maybe just to finish off um just explain to us a bit of this the 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 YouTube channel the concept 2 erg stuff that you're doing the behind it and 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 what you what you are going for
1: Yeah so <coughs> I'm training so I can come back and win in Tokyo no um <laughs> good start no, no, yeah, everyone, everyone, everyone asks me that question no um so I like I work for concept 2 here in New Zealand and we we're just being proactive like around what fisa is trying to do with indoor rowing so um you know uh, we trying like fisa as a sport has got to develop rowing you know and they're doing a great job of it with all the developing nations you know we, we see how <coughs> countries in the middle of africa can get race the african you know games and then come to the olympics and so you've got to make rowing accessible to everyone around the world so at the moment you know, there's probably two, three million people in the world that row, but there's probably two or three hundred million a day that use a rowing machine. So if we can somehow create a program around indoor rowing being bigger than it is currently, more more stuff, people identify that if they use the rowing machine, they're a rower, you know, not just the rowing community, but all the crossfitters, all the people in the gyms, all the people trying to be fit and healthier around it, then um, that as a sport then we go to the olympic committee and we've got we've got 300 million people that row you know and all of these type of things just add to our sport being relevant you know different ways that we can do things so you know we run the new zealand indoor rowing association down here and we try and we ran the competition national champs last year and we're trying to do a lot of things because you know you see it's one of the biggest sport at the invictus games you know with all the disabled um uh like armed service people and so there's, there's huge potential that anyone, no matter what age, no matter your ability, can use into a row machine. So obviously hand-in-hand with Concept2 currently because they're the number one suppliers in the world. Um, we're just trying to do that. And so first and foremost, you look out there and you're like, well, you know, if somebody wants to get involved with it, how they do it? So I was just like, well, why don't I just do some training sessions and get people involved? So I've basically just started the YouTube channel um, to do programs. And so... Already, you know, people follow along, you know. So someone that's wanting to stay fit, wanting to stay healthy, because I let myself go, I just drank too much beer, played too much golf, pissed around. And um, and I got pretty fat. So I'm just trying to get back into shape, get myself healthy again. And I'm doing it on the row machine because I know how bloody good it is. So um, the other thing, too, is we're in, we're in a, a development stage with an app. So I'm doing programs and stuff at the moment, and I'm going to do all the sessions and put them online. So if somebody... And There'll be different levels of it as well. So I've got a hell of a lot of rowing to do on the machine um, Someone can get online and Go I'm gonna do a 10-week program for my 2k I'm gonna follow what eric has got and this is gonna drop my my 2k time, you know And it's gonna be on there so you can subscribe to the app <clears throat> and then you can go on there and it's like You know, there'll be six or seven six sessions a week or whatever it is on the rowing machine And then you subs you do that with all your other stuff that you're doing at the same time and this will work towards you being faster on for your 2k or faster for your 6k or if you're just a general person wanting to get fit and healthy then we just do short sessions or short interval stuff where you're you're not sitting there for half an hour an hour you know like going oh my god you know like because you need to do that at a end. but all these people that want to be rowers that want to use the machine they do 20 minutes they're off but of course, we could do it twenty minutes, really effective, so they get the maximum benefit out of it. Um, and so that's all working at the moment. It's all in the pipeline, um, and yeah. So I sit on there every day, sometimes twice a day, and just get back into the groove of things. And and it's it's enjoyable, you know. Like I know how good the machine is, and <clears throat> it doesn't make me want to get back on the water, but um, it does just uh, it just does give you that sense of achievement, yeah. you know, like that's the best thing about rowing and I tell people all the time when I talk to them that rowing is a sport you put the work into it and you get the reward out of it at the end of it
0: yeah no it's really cool I, I really dig what, you, what you're doing and it's also similar like for us as well like we just realised that there's, there's so many cool uh, athletes out there and there's so many cool stories out there that uh, rows would just to bring more to the rowing community you know there's not enough content out there yeah. about how epic our sport is so um,
1: I yeah, well, really that, cool and and that's and it. that's what's happening in this day and age as well. Like with your smartphones, and you know, like name name a person. If you don't if you don't see someone running down the road when they're off for a run with headphones or earpods in or something like that, holding like their phone or got their phone on a strap or something like that, you look at them going shit. How did they do that without any like music? <laughs> and it's yeah. the same when you get on like the machine. Like people want to be sitting on a bike and a wind trainer and they use Zwift and they race each other. Yeah. Um. You know, or Peloton and and so you're like, even on the treadmills, you'd be on a treadmill in a gym and you've got a screen in front of you, so we should be doing the same on the road because then more people will actually use it. So if we can start with this, then it develops, you know, and we, not only I'm going to do it, I'm going to get other people to do it as well. So, um, yeah, we've, we've got some great things in, in the pipeline. And, and first and foremost, if you want to get anything done, you've got to be proactive and do it yourself and let it evolve from there.
2: Yeah. Yes, no, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, also, I mean, like there's definitely, like Lauren said, there's a space at the moment for things like this to grow. But, Eric, that brings us to the end of our conversation. Um, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been awesome. I'm glad we finally got you um, online.
1: No, thanks, guys. No, happy, to, happy to chat, share my stories, and, yeah, hopefully um, people have enjoyed listening.
2: No, yeah, I'm people sure are they I love
0: will. listening, yeah. And I think we, we might have to do another one at some point to talk about all the stuff we missed. But uh, really, really good start. Thanks so much, man.
1: Nah, all good. Anytime, gents.
0: Of course. Cool. cool. So that's a wrap for part one and two of Eric Murray. I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. We thought that there was so much wisdom, so much knowledge. Uh, in that episode, we're gonna to have to go back and listen to that a couple more times to to really let it soak in. But just really, really impressive and really cool. And I enjoyed the quick fire questions so much as yeah. well, hey, Jakey. No,
2: no, of course it was. Uh, I think all in all, one of our our best episode ever. And um, if you guys really liked it, please let us know um, by emailing us or getting hold of us on Instagram. Please go and review the show. It really helps with how our podcast performs on the internet and online. And don't forget to go uh, watch the links in our show notes to go watch Eric and Hamish win multiple races. There are plenty um, in there from World Drawing, World Cups and Olympic Games. And also just a shout out to World Drawing for providing us with the commentary that we use at the beginning of the episode.
0: And yeah, have a good week. Yeah, see you soon with some new epic content. Tops. Tops. Cheers, guys. We're out. It's a, it's such a cool sport. I really like that choice.
1: Yeah, okay, that's the first person I've seen involved.
0: Jeez, you okay there?
1: Yeah, I'm just, <clears throat> I'm just choking away on <laughs> trying to have a snack at the same time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you, um, you can eat it there, but yeah, yeah, will we'll cut it out. Don't worry.